When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Just as a warning, this podcast will contain some language which is extremely offensive and reprehensible in modern day society, but unfortunately was regarded as normal in the days of Willie Clark. Whilst nobody at Claret and Blue condones this language, then or now, we felt the listener should understand the sort of barriers and discrimination Willie and other black players faced during their playing days. You are listening to AVFC Extra, a no-nonsense look at the club we all love. Brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast. Hello and welcome to AVFC Extra. I'm James Rush and today I'm joined by uh, a very special guest. It's uh, Bill Hearn, the co-author of Football's Black Pioneers. And he's here today to tell the story of Aston Villa's first black player. Uh, a very interesting story and a, a very important one that's only kind of recently surfaced. Could you just give our audience a little clue why you might be on today for those who might not know yourself? Yeah, um, Bill Hearn. I'm co-author of uh, Football's Black Pioneers the stories of the first players at each of the 92 Football League clubs. Uh, my co-author is, is David Gleave, and we spent the last four years doing the research and legwork and, and writing for the book, and it's been incredibly enjoyable and very, very revealing. So you're here today to actually clue us up about an actual legend of Villa's history. So who is this Villa pioneer? Why is he so important? Yeah, I, I mean, I think he's terribly important. His name is William Clark. He was... Um, Villa's first black player, but he's a he's a massive uh, figure in history, football history. He was the first black player at Bristol Rovers. He was the first black player at uh, Bradford City, and of course the first black player at Villa, who at that time were po- probably the you know, biggest club in the world. You might say they still are, but um, you know the um, the big thing he did. I mean, apart from being the third black player in the in the football league, he was the very very first to score goal. And, and he did that with Villa in, in the first division, so in the very, very top league. So I think he's a, he's a terribly important figure in terms of football history, not just black football history. So what was Clark's background? I know you, you've had to kind of find him in the history books, but then I guess once you, you've identified the player, identified his um, history and his personality, of course his skin colour as well and why he's so important to Villa's history, but what was his personal background? Yeah, well, he was a Scot, uh, born on the uh, 3rd of March, 1878, in a little village in Ayrshire. His mum was from Kilmarnock, um, so you know, not very exotic, but his dad was the, um, the the Black Link. His father, Alexander, was um, born in British Guyana, where his father worked on a, a plantation as a woodcutter. We've got a brilliant description from him. A Scottish historian, Andy Mitchell, found a reference to him in a very, very old book. And if I can just read it out, Alexander came to Scotland to be educated privately. Uh, that was very, very common for the, the, the white children of the West Indian uh, uh, workers to send their children to Scotland or England to be educated. And the description of him is a respectably born black boy who a fortnight before had arrived from the West Indies and whose tawny countenance and woolly headed look very, very remarkable among the red headed and fair visaged Highlanders. So Alexander, a very, very dark skinned boy, uh, was educated in Scotland 
married Jemima from Kilmarnock and had, um, we're not sure if it was 11 or 12 children, and Willie Clark was either the seventh or eighth of, of, of that family. So Willie had a probably a, a decent childhood. He's a very, very good footballer. He played for a lot of very good junior clubs in Scotland. Never played in the Scottish League. Um, but when one of his teams, the Stirlingshire, got promoted, there was a clause in, in, his, um, in his contract that he still belonged to Third Lanark. And Third Lanark said he can't play for any other club in the Scottish League unless we get £25. And that was a lot of money in those days. So East Stirlingshire weren't willing to pay that. And nor were any of the other Scottish League clubs. So Bristol Rovers nipped in very, very quickly, uh, showed a bit of opportunism and signed him to play in the Southern League uh, with, with them. The Southern League was very strong in those days. Had a lot of big teams, uh, Southampton, Tottenham, West Ham. In fact, the season that Willie spent down there, Tottenham won the, won the FA Cup in the, um, the FA Cup final. They played before 110,000 people. Uh, so, you know, they were, it was a very, very strong league and Willie did really yeah. well. Um, he scored a hat-trick in an FA Cup tie and obviously caught the attention of Villa. And by the 18th of May, 1901, Villa came in and signed him. So the meat of this now, and this is why it's so important to uh, Aston, Villa, Aston Villa's history, because like, correct me if I'm wrong, he, he's Villa's first black professional footballer. Yeah, yeah. So what was his career like, actually, at Aston Villa? Well, I, I think it was pretty impressive. Um, I was trying to think of a, of a comparable figure but let, let's talk about him and you might think oh, he sounds a bit like whoever you know I just go back to the point that Villa were probably the the best club in the world at that time although they just had a very very poor season and they were kind of rebuilding and there was even talk in the press they were worried about relegation um, so they'd, they'd had a poor season previously but the two seasons before that they'd won the title and they'd won the championship five times at that stage. So he was joining a very, very big club. And like most clubs, uh, Villa had a lot of Scots. We know a little bit about what Willie looked like. We got photographs of him as, a, as an adult, um, as sort of an older man. But the, we know that he was five feet eight inches tall. He was 12 stones. He was said to be Percy. And a description uh, from the press said, Darkie Clark is a well-known forward who is likely to make a big name for himself. He's a particularly useful man because he has proved himself an effective aggressor, no matter what position he has in the line of attack. So the picture I get of him is that he was versatile, quick, strong, stocky, not a prolific goal scorer. But I wouldn't overplay the versatility side of it because he played 177 games in England and only three of them were in anything other than the outside right position. So he was um, very, very much a, a right winger. He married in Bristol just before he came to Villa, a lady called Ada Higginbottom, and her father was a, a, a train driver. And he wasn't very, very happy about uh, Ada marrying a footballer. His other daughter had married a footballer as well. But in those days, they, they weren't the catch that they are now. They certainly started their married life in the Midlands at Norris Street, which I know is just off Whitton Road, so it's not very, very far from the ground. They very, very quickly had two daughters, so it was a, a little family sort of blossoming there. And he made his league debut at Bury on the 7th of September 1901. So that was the first black person to play for Aston Villa. It was the first game of the season, so he clearly was a, a member of the team. He hadn't been brought to sit in the reserves for a season or two. A top player, fitting into a top club. Just fast forward a little bit to another momentous event, because on Christmas Day 1901, he became the first black player to score in the Football League. 
it was at Everton. It was a big, big game. Everton were top of the league and Villa were third. Uh, Everton hadn't lost at home that season and Villa were really overperforming because remember there were fears about them being relegated when, when the season started they won 3-2 and Willie got the winner so that's fantastic you know it must have been really exciting the light was fading no floodlights in those days so I guess there was a, a fear that the game might not be completed it was raining Villa were down to 10 men for a long time a player called Billy Marriott had gone off injured he only played eight games for Villa, uh, but he never played again. And uh, oddly enough, he joined Bristol Rovers after that. So perhaps replacing Willie uh, at Bristol Rovers. So Willie scored three goals that season. They all came within the space of 10 days between Christmas and the 4th of January. And at the end of January, Villa went in the, the rest of the season. They were third position, not too far behind uh, the eventual winner, Sunderland. But they had a terrible finish. And the last six games that Willie played, they lost five. And Villa only won two of their last 11, so they really crashed down the league and ended up uh, finishing in eight. Typical Villa. Familiar, yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> the, the, other, the other odd thing is that there was never a regular outside right in that, in that side that year. Willie only played uh, 15 games. The place was there for the, for the grabbing, really. Villa played 29 players that season, which was very, very unusual. I think when you won the title in 81, you, you only played 14 players. And in 1901, there was no rotation system. So clearly it was a team that hadn't quite uh, quite found its feet. And that might be why you slipped down so badly. The following season, 1902-03, was a lot better for Willie and for Villa. He made 20 starts. He scored three goals. He played in the last five games, which were all wins. And you were going hell for leather for the title with Sheffield Wednesday. But in spite of winning the last five, with Willie playing a big part in it, uh, you were pipped by one point. But what would have been interesting there was, had you won the title, Willie would have been the first black player to win a, a league championship medal as well. And there's a bit of a link because probably the first player to the first black player to win a, a league title medal might be Stan Horn, who was your second black player, and we'll probably talk about him later. After that, Willie's career at Aston Villa tailed off a little bit. Nineteen oh three or four. He only made two appearances, and that was when the season was virtually over. There was little to play for. 1904-5, again, he didn't really get into the, into the team. He played five games. That was really the end of his career. The 2nd of May, 1905, he signed for Bradford for the, the decent fee of £200 in those days. So his Villa career was over. Um, he played 46 league games. He scored six goals. Um, I think that's pretty impressive. Um, I know... I would settle for that if I'd ever been good enough to play football. Um, and it was with one of the, you know, as I say, the biggest clubs around. We know his address when he left uh, was Nietzsche's Park Road. And we know that that house is still standing as well. So if ever you want to put a plaque up, we've got plenty of suggestions. Start that movement then. Um, it was uh, interesting, actually, because how, how would you see, for your research, how was Clark described? Was he um, more so mentioned by his skin colour or his uh, ability or actions on the pitch? Yeah, he, he was, um, I mean, always darky. So, you know, that, that sort of was a, almost a given. Um, the, the, the press language was very, very strange. I mean, when he scored the goal, he scored it with a, a capital shot. You know, Clark had a capital shot and... It was a goal. Um, there was lots of old references to black players in those days. I mean, some of the references to Arthur Wharton talk about, you know, the, the, the darky fell to the ground and failed to stop the ball. Or, you know, was the darky too stupid to understand this? Um, so, the, but by and large, they tended not to describe the games very much. Yeah. So there, there are little references other than 
the darky. Speaking off the back of that, what social barriers would he have had to face? Because it sounds like if he was to get something wrong, he's not only got that that tag assigned to him, kind of the, the, the racial tag, but also when you're, you're saying stuff like the, the, the mental intelligence being in question, would that have been the press attacking Clark? What about how did the fans react to him or, you know, even the citizens he was based around? I think if, if we better understand what it was like for black people in those days, we aren't too far from World War One, and, and that gives us a clue as to how people thought about black people. Because when World, World War One started, the, um, the war office didn't want any black people in the army. They didn't want them involved in the war. Um, they didn't, the Germans didn't think it was fair. The Germans officially objected to black people taking part in the war. They could not permit black people to kill white people. So it was very, very reluctantly that the the colonial office stepped in and king george v stepped in and said we must have the entire commonwealth involved in the war we can't exclude them because of the color of their skin so the british west indies regiment was formed and they were not allowed to fight on the front line in europe because they weren't allowed to kill white people even if they were an enemy so most of them went out to the far east um, but that that was kind of how white uh, black people were treated at the time uh, very very inferior now, Willie was lucky in some respects. He, he was quite light-skinned. He was a good footballer, and that always helps. It helps you be socially accepted if you're good at sport and a little bit of a hero. He came from a good background. He'd probably been fairly well-educated. We know that his father was well-educated and had a good job. It wasn't just his colour that he had against him. Uh, he, we haven't covered it yet, but he was a single parent as well at that point. He was bringing up two little girls on his own. And even coming into the 70s and 80s, people like Ron Nords felt that black players were all very well, you know, fancy, skillful, but they've got no heart, uh, they've got no brain. And in, in writing this book, we found that nothing could be less true. The number of black players who played five, six hundred, seven hundred games Quite often the strikers, quite often the lower divisions, very, very often when tackling from behind was perfectly normal. You know, so it's absolute nonsense. But that was probably how Willie was perceived in in his day. So how was he perceived um, during his time after Villa? What did he do after leaving the club? Because if I if I remember correctly from your, the notes in the book itself, he, he was in active service, right? That's right, yeah. I mean, he had a, there was a lot happened after Villa. Uh, he joined Bradford City, as I said. Um, they were a newly formed side. They were trying to... Uh, they hadn't actually played in non-league. They were, they were elected into the league to try and make football more popular in Bradford. And um, he did well there. But in his second season, tragedy stuck, struck because um, his wife, Ada, died of heart failure. Uh, she was only 24. She died at home. And it was a result of a, an abortion operation that went wrong. So Willie was left with two little girls and um, surprisingly played against Gainsborough two days later. Uh, the only game he missed was the week after that at Stockport. So I assume he, you know, he, he needed to look after the little girls. Um, but yeah, that was pretty tragic. And uh, it got worse because um, he got his sister to come and look after the girls and he found out she was mistreating them. So she had, he had to uh, sort that out as well. So... You know, he had a tough life and uh, a lot to sort out off the football pitch. Bradford did well. They got promoted in his, um, I think, his third season. And they got promoted very comfortably. They they were scoring goals left, right and centre and uh, got promoted. In 1908 or 9, he hit the record books again because he became Bradford City's first goal scorer in the top division. And that was in their fifth game. So they got off to a bad start. And in the eighth minute, he scored um, at home to Bury. 
in a, I think it was a 4-1 win. I guess the, some of the white players that played for Aston Villa may have enjoyed a, a, a kind of better end to their days. It seemed like um, Willie didn't carry on playing football after the war, if I'm, if, if I'm correct. He, he went and uh, followed his trade. Um, what was the kind of twilight of his life like? The last football spell at Lincoln. He signed for Lincoln on uh, New Year's Eve 1909 and he had a season, well, two seasons there. He he was a lodger. He just he just lived in somebody else's house in Lincoln. He must have left the girls in in Yorkshire. I think in his second season, Lincoln finished bottom, and they didn't get re-elected to the league. So Croydon Common tried to buy him, uh, but again he got he got mixed up in complicated transfer arrangements, and um, he Bradford City had let him go to Lincoln on fairly generous terms, but on the condition that they get a hundred pound were Lincoln to send it, sell him. Well, when Lincoln went out in the league, all the contracts were transferred to the Football League, so it got really, really complicated. But to cut a long story short, Bradford City were really magnanimous and uh, let him join Croydon. He had a season at Croydon, but by then he was getting well into his 30s. He retired from football, became an upholsterer, carpet fitter. He met his second wife and married in 1914 and started a second family. They had six children together. So he had a, a you know happy a happy life in that respect. Uh, carried on doing his upholstering, his carpet fitting, moved to Tunbridge Wells, and in 1949 he died there, and, and he's buried there, and his grave is still still visible. Um, after Clark finished playing for Aston Villa, there was quite a gap in um, uh, there being another black player to play for Aston Villa, I believe that's Stan Horn, but yeah. you know, you, you'd assumed with, with Clark breaking through that it might be the start of a movement, and maybe we had to wait a long time for him to be kind of followed, his footsteps to be followed in. So what was that, what was that gap like? What, what was yeah, his that, situation at all? It's the strangest thing because it's, it's completely normal. I mean, there was a, a brief sort of flurry of black players around about 1900 and then virtually nothing. And I think there were only about nine black players between 1886 and 1945. And, and they, they probably represented more than one club. So uh, probably 18 of the football league clubs had a black player. But by the time we got to 1945, the huge majority hadn't. Um, and in fact, from 1921 to 1929, Jack Leslie was the only black player in the English Football League. And you probably know Jack Leslie as the man who was picked for England and then dropped when it was discovered that he was black. So black players were very, very rare indeed. So it wasn't unusual. Aston Villa's gap is probably a lot shorter than, than most clubs because uh, you signed Stan Horn. That was sort of late 50s. Made his debut December 63. So, what, 60, 62 years after after Willie Clark. The, the unusual thing about Stan is that um, he was a captain. He got picked for a, a, a youth um, a youth squad. I don't think he ever made the England youth side. But Villa had five players in the, in the squad. I'll read them out because I, I, you yeah. might, you, you'll have heard of them, no doubt. Uh, Graham Parker, Bobby Park, Doug Prosser, Lou Chatley, who I do remember, and Stan himself. And the manager at that time was was Joe Mercer. Stan was a, very unlucky because after he made his debut, he played another sort of five games. And then he was detected with a heart condition and he was told to retire from the game. So Villa released him. But Joe Mercer decided to take a, take a chance, really. And um, I think Stan got a second opinion. And thank goodness he did, because he, he went on to play a lot of games and he's still alive and well at, at almost 76. He went to Man City, joined Joe Mercer at Man City 
and again had a you know a, a good career. But when he joined Fulham in 1969, he was made club captain, and he was only the second club captain after Jack Leslie to be a you know a, a black person. So it was very very unusual in those days. When I think of uh, kind of like the racial abuse aimed at black players, um, my mind apart from the tags we've discussed, you being used on Clark, and kind of the tropes used to describe his play, um, some of them. St- you know, still used in the modern day. Of course, some of the modern day racist, racist abuse cases we see, my mind does automatically drift back to the, the you know, 80s football, 70s football, when it was, you know, you, you treat it as a different world. Mm. But would have Clark had to have endured some of the scenes that we saw um, saw reported in those days? I, I don't think so, because things had moved on so quickly. In Clark's day, he almost certainly would be the only black person on the pitch and in, in the ground itself. And if we look at the 70s and 80s, I mean, in 1972, for example, West Ham fielded three black players in the same side. And that was before West Bromwich and the, and the three degrees. So, and, and virtually every side by the, by the 1980s had played at least one, one black player. So it was very, very different for, um, for Willie. He would be on his own. He wouldn't get any support from anyone. Um, I mean, even as late as the 70s, I was talking to Viv Anderson and, I mean, Viv, Viv was telling me the story about how he was pelted with fruit, you know, apples, pears, oranges, and he, he wanted to, he didn't want to play, he wanted to come off the pitch. And his manager said, no, you've got to get on with it, that's life. And I asked Viv, what would have happened if you'd walked off? And he just kind of laughed and said, if I'd walked off, I would have been silent and unemployed the, the following Monday. And it would be exactly like, like that to Willie. He had no opportunity to object. He was known as Darkie. He was called Darkie. It wasn't just by one or two racists in the crowd. It was by the the respected press. So that's just how it was for a, a black person. We got Walter Tull moving on a little bit. But Walter Tull, 1909, he was abused by the Bristol City crowd. And it was so bad, Tottenham's reaction was to sell him because they found it embarrassing and they didn't really know how to deal with that sort of thing. And many, many players of the 70s and 80s just tell me that uh, we were told just to get on with it. You know, that's a fact of life. Chris Kamara, for example, a game against Shrewsbury, Chris got so irate at the end of the match, he went across and hit somebody, a player, and broke his jaw. And his manager, Lou Macari, was very, very critical of Kamara. He said, uh, you know, you're black. That's the end of the matter. It should be water off a duck's back. I'm going to chop your legs off for, you know, getting into trouble and and getting a long suspension. So no support for Willie whatsoever. You know, it would have been tough for him. So what kind of things are you hoping to see from his legacy now? Because he's only recently kind of been identified. And I think I owe a lot to the the Twitter account, the Villa Wiki, for even knowing about him. I think he was first mentioned by Aston Villa probably in the last four weeks. Um, So, yeah, what what are we expecting to see from his legacy going forward? Because he has an important role. I mean, his, his name's kind of floated around for a while. I think Bradford declared him as their first black player. A year or two back, I, I think he's a very, very important figure. As I say, in football history, not just black football history, is a statue going too far? Jack Leslie's getting a statue. I think Jack Leslie deserves it, to be honest. I think we need to do something to remember Willie and, and what he achieved. You know, the first goal in the English league by a black person, I think, is really special. It was at Goodison Park. Might have been easier and nicer if it was at Villa Park. It could have commemorated. You know, him being the first black player and the first goal scorer and so on. But yeah, I think it would be nice to retrospectively recognise 
what he went through, what he achieved, and uh, you know, do, do something in his memory. Well, thank you very much, Bill, for coming on. Um, if anyone's got any questions or, or want to buy the book, where can they uh, find you and uh, the book? The book is Football's Black Pioneers. You get it on, on Amazon, really. It's probably the easiest way to Google and get it on Amazon online. Uh, but equally, you can get it at Waterstones or any, any other good bookshop. But yeah, I hope people do buy it and uh, enjoy it. Perfect. Thank you for sharing your insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, Bill. Okay, pleasure. Thank you for listening to AVFC Extra, an additional dose of Aston Villa content for you, brought to you by the Claret and Blue podcast team. If you enjoyed the episode, please do get in touch with us, get involved in the comment sections, tweet us at Claret Blue Pod, or leave us a review on iTunes. We really do appreciate it. We'll catch you again very soon with some more content. Until then, up the villa. Yeah.